Alright folks, welcome back to another rather ghostly, rather scurry, uh, I would hate to call the show evil, because the show is not evil, it's, it's, it's the complete opposite of evil. Even though sometimes we might talk about things that might dive into that direction, it's just to, to unveil, to shed some light on the darkness, you know what I mean? And uh, today we rolled into uh, quite possibly one of uh, the darkest deals in the paranormal whole world, you know what I mean? <coughs> Part of my cough. But um, exorcisms, you know, not the William Friedkin movie, even though that's a classic. You know, sequels are all right sometimes, sometimes. Um, but yeah, exorcisms, you know, the what, when, a, when a demon enters the body of an innocent human being and causes them to do act crazy, hurt themselves, hurt others, um, all types of crazy, crazy ordeals. I think everybody out there is familiar with it. We don't have to go explaining it too deep, um, you know. Uh, today we wanted to dive into, you know, we had a handful of some of the most like crazy uh, exorcisms, you know, some of the most chilling, horrifying uh, situations uh, of this, this uh, procedure going down, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, without, you know, the practice of using religious rites, to free a person of supposed demonic possession stretches back, you know, thousands of years they've been doing that. Um, it's been, you know, in reality, it's been told in reality, uh, in the good books. Um, it's been talked about, it's been fictionalized in entertainment for as long as forever. You know what I mean? Of course, you think of the 1973 film, The Exorcist, which is fantastic. I always say that's probably the scariest movie ever made um but that also has to go with the fact that i have that kind of religious background where i came up in the church and the devil and the demons and all that bad stuff always kind of rubbed me the wrong way and gave me the creeps you know what i mean ray you were about didn't you see the you told me you seen the exorcist in theaters when it was originally out right i think i heard that yeah i saw it in theaters actually i ruined a date ah i can do that well she, yeah, she was a nice girl. She was, uh, and I thought, oh, this could be kind of, you know, cool. Get to know her, invite her out on a date. I said, oh, let's go check this movie out. And uh, we saw it. She got freaked out. And then afterwards, she was like, you like that sort of stuff? She went kind of crazy and uh, ended up dropping her off. And she never wanted to see me again because I was into that. <laughs> well, <laughs> the certain parts of that, I remember the part with the crucifix blew my mind apart. Being, I was like preteen kid watching that VHS upstairs in my bedroom, and I, horrifying. I had, I remember, I had a nightmare. I had a nightmare forever of uh, looking in the window and seeing the Exorcist face and stuff. You know, the effects for that movie are phenomenal. You know, you have her <laughs> effects of you have her effects, of course. You also have the the the, the exorcist, the, exorcist uh, the dude exercising her. You know what I mean? That dude is, was a young the the main one, not Demi, not Demi, but the other one, like the veteran one. I forget his name at this moment. Um, but well, the older guy, the older guy was played by Max von Sydow. That's right. There you go. 
I like it. And he was only like 30, 35 or something at the time. And they done, they done him up to look like he was like 60, 70 years old, I think for his, you know, his matured priest look. You know what I mean? If you ever get a chance, get your hands on the director's cut. Oh yeah, I got it. You got the director's cut? I have the director's cut. There's also a cut that's called uh, the version version you've never seen, which I have that cut as well. Um, It's got some some extra scenes in there that that, uh, I can see why they left it out for theaters, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I can see that. I believe they're two different cuts, but I could be wrong. Like the spider walk is a that was cut out of the theatrical. The spider um, walk on the ceiling. Uh, spider walk. It could be a spider walk on the ceiling. Yeah, that 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 to me was uh, one of the creepiest scenes in there. In the you combined in the verse. combined the, 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 Yeah, I mean, when people hate spiders, when she does that spider walk, possessed on the ceiling, upside down, coming coming across, that was kind of like you've just taken a possessed person, turned, giving them a spider-like move, and it was a perfect combination of freaking people out, right? You know, there was a movie recently called Hereditary that had that had elements of that where there's people running on the ceiling and stuff, and it's just it's like Japanese horror. It reminds me of Japanese horror a little bit, and uh, this is so unsettling about that visual of it of it happening. It's just like crazy madness. Um, well, no matter what, no matter what they do in the movies, it's not as scary as a real thing. Believe that. Yeah, I've never, I've never been there. The demons that I usually have to deal with are just humans that act foul. You know what I mean? Maybe they are possessed. Who knows? We'll see. Only I time will tell. My demons come up from inside of me. My demon lover. That's another film. Um, our, our, our pal, uh, Bobby, Bobby Shemp Goose over there. Uh, big fan of my demon lover. I'm not so much a fan. I'm not so much a lover of the demon lover. Did you know that the Pope Francis, uh, you know, they, the, the, the Catholic Church, our boys over there, uh, with Pope Francis calling exorcisms a delicate and necessary ministry to accommodate uh, the rising demand, the Vatican now offers a week-long training seminar in being an, doing exorcisms. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Uh the course costs roughly $370. That's not that much money. No. They're trying to make it so anybody can exercise demons, I think. Oh, you probably have to be a good baptized uh, Catholic, but outside of that, you're an exorcist. I'm a little shocked at how low that number is, knowing that you know the, the Catholic Church has been known to be a little greedy from time to time. You know what I mean? Uh, I feel like exorcism rights is something you could be selling all day for like 1200 1500 buck. You know what I mean? Yeah. You were in the, you kind of seen that market of people doing, you know, things like um, the seminars and stuff like that back in the day, you know, um, what do you, what do you think judging by like those prices? And I know you stay up with it nowadays. What do you think? What do you think a good price for something like that would be? Or what do you think? It, I mean, the lower, the better, of course, but, what do you think they'd throw on that? If you didn't see the price, what would you have guessed the, that course would have costed? That course, uh, I don't know, at least a thousand. Yeah, maybe more. Yeah, three hundred seventy bucks sounds, you know. But you know, you got people coming from third world countries where that th- you know three hundred seventy bucks is the equivalent of 
you know, five grand to them. You know what I mean? So maybe that's the deal with it. Well, on the other end of the scale, I used to uh, run a class in uh, mediumship. And uh, was by the end of it, you were delivering messages yourself, going to energy work and protection, et cetera, but how to communicate with spirits. And you got to figure this was around the year 2000. So that was a while back. It ran for about six hours. I gave them a break uh, halfway through. Yeah. And at that time there, they were paying $100 a head. It's a lot of loot. For for six, for six hours. And, uh, yeah, they, you fill a room with 20 people, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd well, whatever that. place is hosting it, you give them their cut and then you walk away with it. But, uh, yeah, people came out of there uh, being able to speak with spirits. That's heavy. That's the deal. That so I think the, the church is selling themselves a little short. Do you think it might be because of that third real country th- deal? Because people come from poorer places? Because you, when you see, I'd say a lot of the exorcism videos that I've seen, if you will, it's usually from some third world country. I don't really see that many, and I'm, I'm sure there are, but I don't see a lot of that American videos. But maybe it's because you automatically take those American <laughs> videos for like false fake videos that filmmakers are making, not like short films, short horror films instead of actual exorcisms. I agree because um, you keep the price down there, but if you've got someone that's coming from, let's say, South America or for Africa or anywhere in the world, once they're starting to look at travel costs and everything else, the cost, I mean, they're going to be putting out a lot of money just to go there, so you got to keep that price down. Yeah, now, now practicing expelling demons stretches beyond the Catholic Church as well, opted into the Pentecostal or evangelical, uh, and often referred to exorcism as deliverance ministry. Protestant missionaries have driven the practice's growing popularity in developing nations, fueling the surge in popularity in Africa, South America, Asia, and the Caribbean. In America, the practices uh, is a pop- as as popular as it's ever been, and that's probably because I think of the way, you know, and it's in you know, entertainment. Um, the, you know, they say they all even in America they say the rise of exorcism is often linked to social and political upheaval. Now I know that's for poorer places and such, and more third world country ish type areas. Um, but I mean, you see that a lot, and that reminds me of um, was it the. Pokowo demon or the episode the thing we did where he came around ra- like raping j- dudes when poli- like big political elections were coming up do you remember which th- what that was yeah i think was that that the one in africa yeah I, yeah 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 well you got another thing is uh you got people that in very stressful times that stress throws off their personal energy and troubles they become very troubled. They become very open. Yeah. So it's easier to possess somebody that's unbalanced, so to speak, energetically and spiritually than it is that someone that is balanced. Right. So in, in times of stress, whatever, we, be it political or financial, et cetera, it's a good time for that dark energy to step in and uh, grab onto somebody. For sure. And to go back to that third world, poorer country type deal. 
right there you got financial issues and you have political issues we you know america we we get a fucking elbow deep up in the politics and it becomes everybody's passion and uh yeah we go we we win and we lose but there's certain other countries that a loss is a real loss like when the person they they don't want to win wins it's more than just some like there there's dead bodies and stuff you know what i mean it's not just like uh you know, we're going to have to do this or that, uh, but still be able to kind of have, you know, a, a, a good life. You know what I mean? Um, some of those other political uh, elections, you know, there's really a lot at state. Like the, 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 sometimes it's liter- literally the devil from hell came up and put on a suit to run for fucking, you know what I mean? The same way here, too, I guess. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's weird. It'd be a good episode for Behold the Pill podcast. Now, in America, the practice is as popular as ever been, as we said. You know what I mean? Um, did we talk about Oregon and California prefer mass exorcism after racial justice protests uh, in 2020? Uh, that was part of the George Floyd incident. Ironically, uh, the growing popularity of exorcism has also been linked to the decline in church attendance, which, as an American priest told the BBC in 2018, might be driving a rise in superstitious beliefs and practices. Yeah, like the decline in church attendance is, uh, it's, 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 you know, what's your take on that? It's just the the society's kind of, you know, you have a very judgmental system that the the, the veil's been lifted and we've noticed that they're, they're pretty, they're just as dark as the people they dismiss and, and, and outcast, you know what I mean? You think that that's gotta be it. I'd say, you know, the fact that you got that as well as, it's kind of a grim, it can be, the world can be kind of grim too. So when you kind of, you know, it, it, sometimes it might not look as hopeful as uh, it, it can be, you know what I mean? Or it is. So I think you get that playing into it too. You get also, you get, like I've noticed on a lot of paranormal shows, they bring in a demonologist. Yeah. And there seems to be one on, on every street corner, which kind of surprises me. So you have to be careful about the people that will manipulate a situation, whether it's uh, political, personal, whatever, to don a title and go in there and try and uh, do something if a person is troubled. Yeah. And uh, the person could simply be troubled or it could be the need for an exorcism, but you got to be careful who you bring in. True. That's the thing. I mean, you think the, why do you think it's, it's, been, it's so flooded? Like, because paranormal is more pop culture now, you think it's because, you know, there's tricksters in there that they're like magicians, the, the trick of the hand, and that they do things and they, they, they can manipulate people, you know what I mean? Why, why do you think there's an influx of everybody trying to do all different, look at us, we're doing a, par- we're do, we do a paranormal podcast, you know what I mean? Everybody's kind of, you know, not everybody, but it's definitely a big upswing in the paranormal fields. Why do you think that is right now? Um, you go into stressful, you track through history, stressful times and paranormal peaks around that time. Uh, people start looking for something else and people start, uh, looking into other things. I think that right now with the popularity, uh, paranormal shows and podcasts, you've got a lot of people opening doors. They shouldn't open. Right. You've got, uh, what are these? types of ghost hunters and stuff to go in there and whether it's the Ouija board or 
they form a circle and they do a summoning because they think it would be cool. And they're opening doors and letting things in. And that just spreads and spreads and spreads until uh, you've got all these negative energies, all, all these demonic things running all over the place. Yeah. Because uh, it's easy enough to buy a book on how to open it. But once you've unleashed it, how do you put that leash back on and, and drive it away? That's hmm. the problem. That is the problem. And that could be a real big problem if you're not ready for it. Even if you are. You know, it's interesting as they say, exorcism have a dark side that has nothing to do with demons. thought that was interesting. It often deprives people with mental illness or addiction of medical treatment. Victims have been beaten, starved, submerged in water, gassed, and burned at the hands of exorcists. In 1976, a 23-year-old Anne Elizabeth Michel of Bavaria died of malnutrition and dehydration after an 11-month attempted exorcism. According to Joseph P. Laycock, author of the Penguin Book of Exorcisms, those killed in this manner are nearly always children or young women. Uh, Very sad and tragic, and rest in peace to all those people. Um, You know, that's tough, you know, it's... Malnutrition because they're in dehydration. They're just not. You think they're not feeding the person, or you think that they were the, the, the person's refusing to eat because of the demon? I think that they're treating the demonic possession on two levels: the spiritual and the physical. And I think what they put the physical through, the person through physically, trying to de- deprive the demon of a host, is detrimental to the person. Yeah, and that's where that's where they get starved, and that's where they they dehydrate. And so they're not focusing on the spiritual aspect and not focusing on getting rid of the, uh, the demon in a spiritual sense. They've got it tied and they figure, well, if we destroy the body, the demon has to leave. Or if you destroy the body, you destroy the person, they die. Mm. So, uh, you really exercising or you just playing it, you playing into it because, uh, the demon might just go on. I know in the ancient, uh, uh, the, the ancient Arab culture back when they when they were talking about and we mentioned it uh, back when you were talking about jinn. Um, if they thought someone was possessed or, or was a jinn, um, they would literally shackle them, chain them up outside the house, and just leave them there to die. Yeah. So there's a touch of in certain parts of the world that there's a touch of something that to me reeks very much or sounds very much like the old witch trials where that uh, it's not really an exorcism. It's more like uh, condemning you to death because you become one with the demon. Yeah. Yeah. It's craziness. Um, You know, there's a thin line between that mental health thing. We've talked about this before, you know, almost every, symptom, if you will, of possession, I could almost put into a category of somebody who is just flat out bad shit crazy, you know, all, you know, the madness. But like I said, there's certain things you cannot argue against, like the, the cuts in the bodies, speaking Latin when they don't know Latin, like there's no explanation for that stuff. You know what I mean? Somebody going crazy, maybe changing their voice a little bit and just, you know, turning to their mother and saying, you know, give them dropping the F bomb on them and being like, F you say horrible shit to her. 
And, you know, they go, whoa, she's, she wouldn't say that if it was regularly her. You know what I mean? Like that stuff, I can go either or it could be a, you could, you know, it could be a mal a dehydration thing. You, you get dehydrated, your brain starts going fucking haywire. You know what I mean? So that some of the way that the, what their bodies are going through, through the process could kind of make you crazy as well. But that Latin, like you said before, dude, them talking Latin backwards or even just straight up talking Latin in general, not knowing it um, is like some ancient language that's been dead forever. Um, I, there's no explanation for that. You could possibly say maybe it was some type of speaking in tongues type situation, which is like the complete opposite spectrum of it. Speaking in tongues is like the, the holy in, in the presence of God type deal where you're supposedly you're in the presence of God and you're so overjoyed to be there that you speak this other language and it's almost kind of like the flip side of it is like when you're possessed by this devil you're speaking this crazy latin language and uh yeah like what uh why do you think it's what's up with the latin thing you know what i mean like why was there were latins like especially dark or were they especially like into dark arts like why why is it always them speaking latin Latin is the language of the church. Okay. It's based on the old uh, Roman language, which is basically the root of all, most languages uh, yeah. in, in uh, Europe, uh, etc. But uh, it's the old Latin, it's the old church language. And what you're doing is you're, the demon itself is cursing you back with a holy language. Is turning it around and using that lang that same language that church uses for prayer and throwing it back in your face. Yeah. Mocking it, you know. Mo yep, mocking it. It's, it. Uh, which is huge. Whenever you see movies or you hear the stories, we're about to get into a couple stories in a little bit. I'm sure there'll definitely be some mocking. Um, that's like, because when you think of it, like what's the most evil thing it could do? It could, it could mock this high power that you, that you worship. You know, it could tell you that you're garbage all day long or, you know, you're ugly and you're overweight. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's just words at the end of the day. But I think there's certain things like the effect that I had when I watched The Exorcist as a kid and seeing that crucifix scene. It's it's like it, you don't you 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 don't even know how to take it in the first couple. You know, the first couple times it's just like, what is this isn't even like, like what is going on? Like it kind of makes you unsettles you. And you got to kind of take a step back and be like, all right. You know what I mean? Okay. Now refresh me on a crucifix scene because it brings something else up in my mind. The crucifix scene is when she takes a crucifix and she puts it in herself in her private parts. And she goes, oh, okay. she says, truck me, truck me. Uh, yeah. And she uses na people's names. She brings names into it. Right. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why? What one were you thinking? Well, I wasn't in a movie. I was uh, a couple times in my life. I've been uh, present in that type of situation. And like I remember one, one, well, well, you're, you're talking more like the exorcism type of the situation. Yeah. And there was one time where um, a small metal crucifix was brought out and it was touched to the skin of the person. Mm-hmm. And the person who was touched to screamed. And when the 
crucifix was taken off, there was a burn mark on the hand in the shape of the crucifix. Yeah, see, like, that's madness. Like, there's no explanation for stuff like that. Except so, you're um, The only other one, I'll, I'll, I won't go into detail, but there was a situation where there was somebody, and um, there was a, what I would call a semi-controlled situation in that uh, different protection and stuff was taken, but that person, just before they uh, were cleansed and the demon was sent back, uh, that situation I was involved in, they were actually like kind of kneeling on the floor, bent over. And they actually came up off the floor. Hmm. So they were kind of like suspended about a foot, a foot and a half off the floor. Crazy. Before, before the entity was sent back. And they came, they, they fell back down and everything ended, ended up well, fortunately. But it's kind of like, that's the type of thing you look, you, you witness. And there were several other people there, several of, a uh, couple of them just kind of like, that's it. I'm surprised they didn't go into a confident convent or a seminary after that. They were so yeah, shaken. For sure. But they, they didn't take it serious to begin with. They brought it on themselves. It was a ritual. They didn't brought the thing in. Yeah. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, don't mess with that stuff. Well, yeah, there's certain there's certain things like that where it's just so mind-bending because it's not... It's like the first time you're ever seeing something that doesn't make sense. There's no way to explain what's going on. And you don't even want to know why. You don't even want to know. You don't even want to explain it because you know it's going to be dark things. It's going to be too spooky, spooktacular for you to even understand. But uh, I got a couple. I got a couple uh, exorcisms that we're going to roll into here. Um, first one, we're going to start older and go to newer a little bit. But uh, first one, we have the New Mexico Colony exorcisms. This is from 1764. I was 13. Uh, this was a good year for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, in January of 1764, a Spanish missionary named Juan Toledo wrote a letter to the governor of New Mexico describing a series of exorcisms he had performed in the settlement, which was then a Spanish colony. The trouble started in November of seven, uh, 1763 with a local woman named Maria Trujillo. According to um, Toledo's letter, Trujillo was given a great sadness of an extreme nature after giving birth and could not be amused by the diversions of the fiesta. That's kind of, it's like, what do they call that? After you uh, post, post, um, post, uh, the, after you have the baby, what do they call that? Postpartum depression. I think that's what that sounds like. Cause she had the baby and she couldn't really, she went to the party to the fiesta and she couldn't really get her high spirits. You know what I mean? She was still kind of down. I think that's probably what that was. Um, such behavior would be recognized. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, uh, but to Toledo, it pointed a demonic possession. You know what I mean? So that's the issue is they sometimes it's like kind of the witch deal. The you know, you don't know what it is. Kill them. You know what I mean? Um, yep. She remained in a state of melancholy until mid-December when she fainted after prayers. She awakened and proceeded to exhaust herself with, with unnatural strength. Uh, Toledo performed an exorcism on December 18th. Other residents also exhibited signs that Toledo interpreted as symptoms of possession. A young woman named Francisca Barella heard pig noises where she could see no pigs. 
That's kind of creepy. Uh, she experienced assorted shudders, um, tingling sensations, seizures, and an overwhelming sense of dread. She couldn't explain it. Varela was taken to the local mission for help, and according to Toledo, the sight of him caused the young woman to become violent, turn gray, and mimic the sound of pigs, cows, horned, and spotted owls, as well as other animals. Toledo exercised her, too, and during the ritual, Barella supposedly insulted him, attacked his lineage, which she said, uh, your mother wears army boots, howled, and hurled a shoe at somebody. Uh, didn't somebody do that to Donald Trump a couple of years ago? Uh, all told, Toledo performed exorcisms on five women and one made uh, one man before he finally decided the outbreak of possession, which he blamed on witchcraft. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like I said, when it went in doubt, when in doubt, burn him up in the house, I guess. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. The pig sounds and the animal sounds. Have you ever heard that one before? Uh, that was like, I, I never really heard that, but I thought that was kind of a creepy addition to something. Uh, the, the sounds is fairly common. Quite often it's growls and animal sounds. So that, that's fairly common in uh, a possession. Why do you think we have, I can understand animal sounds, I mean growls, but why do you think we have animal sounds? We hear that. Uh, it's non-human. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. I would do, uh, if it was up to me, it would be, it would be animals and humans death rattle sounds to horrify people. Um, you know, all things you don't want to hear, you know what I mean? There's all this horrifying stuff. So what was your take on, uh, Toledo, our boy Toledo over there? Think he was the real deal or just kind of mosing around, you know, then in certain situations you could have somebody act like they play, you know, fake the funk a little bit for ego to seem powerful and to seem like they're, you know, got, they're on, they got that direct line to the big man, you know? Well, you also have, you're going back to a time where you got witch, uh, in the 1700s, witch trials and any, any unusual activity was, um, automatically attributed to evil or the devil. Yeah. So if someone had a mental illness back then, they were possessed because it wasn't recognized. If if you behaved in any way or did anything that was not acceptable or out of the ordinary. So that's an up in the air situation for me. I don't know uh, the accuracy of the reporting, whether it was a panic of the time, like I said, when people did things differently. Mm. Um, all, I mean, you could have been, I mean, I know there were people that were, today we'd call them an herbalist that they use the herbs to heal. Yeah. Well, at one, one time they were considered a witch. Truth. So I don't know. I don't know in that time frame when that happened, what that actually was. I'm not saying it wasn't a possession, but in those times, I got a couple little doubts. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, next up on our exorcism docket, we have... The Exorcism of George Lukens in 1788. Uh, sometime around Christmas in 1769, a tailor named George Lukens was mumming uh, in his Somerset, England village of Yadden. Do you know what mumming is off offhand? Not unless he's trimming mums in the garden. I don't ah, know. 
That could be. That's a good. The old folk tradition would have seen Luckins and his friends going door to door to perform a Christmas themed play, but their rounds were interrupted when Luckins experienced what he later called a d- divine slap that left him unable to walk home under his own power. Others identified the offending force as potent beer handed out by one of the troops' hosts. Shortly <laughs> after, yeah. Shortly afterwards, Lukens began experiencing fits. Uh, that made him unable to work, leaving him dependent on financial support from his fellow parishioners. We call that laziness. We call that just being like le- leeching off the system auto. Uh, the parish sent Lukens to a hospital in 1775, but the doctors claimed, you know, those doctors, they claimed he was incurable and sent him back. Lukens insisted he was bewitched and blamed several local women for his conditions, which according to witnesses included convulsions, singing hunting songs and strange voices and blaspheming in a manner to dread, too dreadful to be expressed. I feel like during this time, just swear, using God's name with a swear in a sentence would be too blasphemous to, 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 to when they say express, they mean repeat, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, I- I agree. I also think, like, if you're talking about singing hunting songs, that sounds more like he was drunk. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's weird. Hunting songs and weird and weird voices. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, basically, he couldn't sing, so when he tried, it sounded really bizarre, and they call it weird voices. Yeah. So this dude... You know, we're going to get a little more into him here, but mainly he, he went to a party, he had a drink... The drink put him out, really fucked him up. And when he got back from it, he's either in this, he's either unable to do anything or he's in this funk, almost like a depression or something, which it sounded like the girls had a depression as well, um, that he just finds no ho- no reason for anything. You know what I mean? Um, You're also talking about a time where in parts of Europe, yeah, they used to, they used to drink something called absinthe, which yes. became elite became illegal because it produced hallucinations, psychosis, a whole bunch of things. That was deadly stuff. Yeah. So if that was the drink, if that's what he was used to drinking, he fried his brain. Yeah. And that that could explain some of how he behaved and what he said and did. Yeah, that's true. Uh, You know, he insisted, yeah, he insi- uh, insisted he was bewitched and blamed several local women for his condition. So going right back to blaming women, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, he doesn't want to take responsibility for, for tying it on, so he blames the woman. Yeah, that's happened many a times. Convulsions, which, yeah, that could be a sign. That could be alcoholisms, uh, strange voices. Yeah, it's all madness. Uh, he seemed to improve for a while, but his condition returned in 1787. This time, Luckins claim possession rather than bewitchment. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Bewitch- I, oh, no, I uh, guess bewitchment's under the spell of a witch, almost under the spell of the love of a lady or something he'd blame, it sounds like, judging by his character. Or, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, but he had, he had already used the bewitch thing, so he had to come up with something new, so he used possession. So now he's blaming the demons. He's bl- bl- blaming demons. Because he doesn't have to see them in the streets, so he can blame them now. Well, you know, it's it's that uh, it's that demon drink that did it to him. That's true. He spit, the hooch. He, 
he fell off the wagon. There it is, the Hoogen. It hurt. That was a painful fall. Uh, he declared that he was being menaced by seven devils and the uh, Seagram seven devils, and therefore needed the seven ministers to get rid of them. Reverend Joseph Easterbrook, vicar of Bristol's Temple Church, agreed to help. Very nice. When Easterbrook's fellow Anglican priest declined to participate, Easterbrook recruited six Methodists to fill in the roster. The two-hour exorcism was performed on Friday, June 13th, Friday the 13th of 1788. Uh, instead of using a formal ritual, the priest improvised in the, Peng- the Penguin Book of Exorcisms, Laycock writes that they prayed, sang hymns, and ordered the demons out in the name of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirits. Whatever was plaguing Lukens, the exorcism seemed to have worked. He became a cause of celebrity and enlightenment era Bristol, um, whose citizens were divided over whether Lukens, who became known as the Yatin Demoniac, was possessed, arranged, or simply an effective con man. I, I think we're going more towards that effective con man type deal. I agree on that one. You know, now, in a situation like this where they prayed, sang hymns, and ordered the demons out in the name of God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that almost seems a little more PG than it gets later in life where you almost have to... It's almost like you got to really grab them, shake them up in an exorcism nowadays. Throw that water, that holy water on them and really yell at them, it feels like. You know, like you actually like almost argue with the demon and chase them off in the name of God, of course. But um, what's the, is it just a simpler time deal? Or you think it was probably just as intense as back then as it is in more modern times? It's just they didn't go into too much detail. Um, if it was a possession, I think they just didn't go in, into much detail because no matter what church it was or what faith it was, they didn't want to reveal too much. These are people that if they seen that, that crucifix scene in the exorcist, just, they just dropped dead from their society. Like the blasphemy of seeing that their eye, their, their fucking head would like melt and fall off their shoulders. They wouldn't be able to, their eyes would blow out of their head. They wouldn't be able to have heart attacks. They realistically have heart attacks and die from the shock of like, oh my God, that was said. I hope I, he could think I was involved with this. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. The, the, the shock factor back then, a lot was hidden. Mm. A lot was, a lot was uh, shoved under the table and just hidden from uh, shoved under the rug and hidden from people. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I'd like to dive a little deeper more into the accounts, get some real ancient for maybe some of these, like it has to be transcribed somewhere where they write down what the actual protocol and what happened. All right. Now we're into the good old, I think we hit the 1900s. So a little, a little more modern. We're we're, we're 1906. We're catching up to current day, right? Uh, The exorcism of Clara German, Telly, 1906. According to accounts uh, recorded in a pamphlet called Are There Devils Today? Question mark. Um, the exorcism of a young Zulu girl named Clara Germaine Telly. Her name was altered to Selly. I guess it was Selly. In some sources, is among the most dramatic ever reported. Presiding priest Reverend Erasmus, which is a kick-ass name, Erasmus Horner, claimed Telly levitated several feet in the air 
horrifying, walked up a wall, more horrifying, displayed telepathic abilities, uh, awkwardly more horrifying than the previous two because it can get in your head, and uh, and understood a multitude of languages, which is very weird. I, oh, that's one of those things that it comes off smarter than you. I think that's what's scary about it. You know what I mean? Is if it knows all this stuff, it, it's already expressed. It's like, how do you, how do you let something know you're smarter than it? You start speaking in multiple different languages that they, they can't do. The account gets even more nightmarish with some witnesses claiming Telly could extend her limbs and neck to incredible lengths. Yeah. That's the most horrifying part. That one got me. That one won me over. Got me, that 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 got me the goosebumps, because like I'm I'm imagining her head coming off like a snake, and her neck, and just the visual of that is horrifying. During the ritual, Horner was assisted by another priest, several nuns, and eight large, strong girls to hold her down. I'm guessing, who yeah, restraining her. Um, Horner claims all eight were lifted into the air with Telly as she levitated. That's even more heavy duty than levitation. You're bringing up those people with you. That's that's a lot of weight to be picking up, man. Imagine just the heaviness of being in that room when that happens. That's one of those moments where you forget to breathe or you have a little panic attack or something. Um, the priest decided to handcuff the girl because if she if she can, if she can levitate off the ground with eight people holding on to her, bring them off the ground, she ain't gonna be able to bust out no handcuffs apparently. Um, but he says it took them three hours to accomplish the task of putting on the, the handcuffs uh, as she choked the whole time. She choked, punched, and bit anyone who came close enough. The exorcism was finally declared a success around 9.30 in the morning of September 13th, 1906. Just to be sure, it took a Horner exercise. Uh, just to be sure, sure it took. Uh, Horner exercised her again that evening. She happily cooperated, though another exorcism was performed the following year when her symptoms seemed to return. That exorcism was considered successful, but Telly's recovery was short-lived. She died of consumption just six years later. That sucks. Um, consumption's what? It's when you rod, this is, but, it, but they have like another name for it nowadays. Uh, didn't they used to call it tuberculosis consumption? Tuberculosis, that's what it was, TB. Yeah, you got a consumption because it would eat your fucking body from the inside. It would consume everything, which is horrifying. Yeah, I worked in the uh, healthcare industry for a while, and yeah. uh, I used to go, have to go every year for tests. I'm, I'm glad you passed all those tests. You know what I mean? You know, uh, why do you think you follow just to be sure? Like, if she didn't have, you know, do you think doing another exorcism, just to be sure, could be a negative thing? That would open up any doors for something to come through? Or you think that would just be a positive praying worship thing? Uh, once you've been touched by, or you have touched touched by evil. Yeah. Whether it's protect, uh, possessed or involved in that sort of ritual, there's what I like to call a thin thread. It doesn't really let go. Yeah. And it's always there, always ready to drag you back. And that's a problem when people get involved with um, 
summoning, no matter what it is, and those type of rituals, even if they turn away from it, for the rest of their life, it's going to be lurking there, waiting to come back at them. Mm. So it, it's a very, it's something that you really, really should not do. You're messing with something there that's not going to go away just because you were successful one time. So being being possessed by a demon almost has like an addiction element to it, where it's like. It's almost like it leaves the yard, but it still roams outside of the fence, and that any kind of day in the future could jump over the fence again. Uh, yeah, it kind of, huh. it's it's got like uh, a little hook into you, like a fish line. Interesting. And, it, and it's got that little bit of a connection with you, and you have to always be on your guard. You have to always uh, protect yourself and reinforce that to keep it away because it will drag you back uh it'll reel you in so to speak and uh again you're possessed or if you're someone who's practicing and doing the rituals it'll draw you back into those rituals to uh have you continue that evil path yeah i was always under the assumption but i assumption makes an ass out of you and me that once you were exercised you were almost pure pure it was gone like it was never there and you would almost go off into the world in a better position than if you didn't, you know, the same way they say, if you, you know, uh, you know, so I guess there, there's a flu or something going around recently where they said that, uh, if you caught it once, you don't got to worry about getting it again, type deal or not as bad. It almost sounds something like that. Well, it's kind of like if, if let's say you're an alcoholic and you quit, yeah. There's always that. There's always that link there where that alcohol could draw you back into drinking again. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be there, and it's, a, it's the same thing. So if someone basically lives what I would call a good life, um, and turns their back on that evil, they should be okay. But they have to be watchful. It'll come in in subtle ways, and it'll come back for you. So when people say they're haunted by their demons when they're talking about addiction, this is it's more reality than you ever than you ever even thought. Oh yeah, it's quite. I wonder, you know, it, it, it's literally quite that. Is you know what I mean? Literally. Um, next up, we have the exorcism of Emma Schmidt in 1928. The 1928 exorcism of a 46-year-old woman in the in the Erling, Iowa convent is one of the best-known cases in America. Some accounts refer to the woman. Uh, su- uh, let's just say some of the accounts refer to this woman as Anna Eklund, not to be confused with Dickie Eklund. But her real name is thought to be Emma Schmidt, uh, a Capuchin monk named Theopolis Rezaner, another kick-ass name. You don't hear those names anymore. Reportedly conducted the ritual over the course of 23 days. That's where you find yourself dehydrated, malnutritious, and dying in a fucking bed somewhere because nobody fed you or whatever. Um, The case was detailed in a 1935 German pamphlet. What's up with all these pamphlets, Ray? God dang. Uh... Begone Satan was the name of this pamphlet, a soul-stirring account of a diabolical possession. Profiled in a 1936 issue of Time magazine. Uh, That's a little bit bigger than uh, the German pamphlet. Um, Some of the more spectacular allegations will be familiar to anyone who's seen the film The Exorcist. 
where uh, Schmidt supposedly levitated, was tied to a bed, and according to one of Resinger's associates, vomited quantities that were humanly speaking impossible to lodge in a normal being. The popular account gets increasingly far-fetched when the exorcism began. Schmidt reportedly flew off the bed, landed high above the door of the room, and clung the wall with cat-like grips. So what's your take on what happens and what is that? Like when some when that happens, what do you what how do you how could you explain that? I, other than just saying, Oh, there's a demon in her, you know what I mean? How do you explain something like that? Or can you explain something? I don't even know if you can. Uh you can't. It's the power of the demonic to manipulate uh energies and uh what we call realities, which are basically different frequencies within the energy. And it does it in a way that we can't understand and we don't we don't know about so there's in this world there's no explanation for it Uh, one unique thing about the early exorcism is it has become known as the the nature of the entities that supposedly possessed Schmidt besides the requisite demons the tormenting spirits were said to include Schmidt's dead father and his child murdering lover um through Schmidt, the father allegedly confessed to making unwanted sexual advances toward his daughter, leading some to wonder if abuse was at the root of her torments. I'd say probably, if that was the case, yeah. Well, the, the other thing, too, is, uh, like I know, in several Aboriginal cultures, they believe that if someone has been traumatized when they're very young, yeah, it causes a break in their psychic development, their emotional and psychic development. Where, which never actually completely heals. And that leaves them more susceptible to one of two things. Uh, well, one is to the energies of, of the dark side of spirits. Uh, and either the person can end up with something like possessed or going uh, into ne- negative energies and negative a negative life. The flip side of that is those people quite often end up in Aboriginal cultures, they would end up as shamans because they would not choose an evil or dark path, but they would choose to use that connection to help people. So they became shamans. Mm. But that early trauma opens you up to the possibility your whole life of being susceptible to these energies and these entities. Yeah. Yeah, and the father allegedly confessed. So it wasn't wasn't, uh, him. It wasn't Schmidt. It was the, the 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 spirit of his dead father that came to him was the one that confessed to it, and the child and his child murdering lover. So I wonder if they had, or if the father and his lover, if it's the father's lover, if that's supposed to be Schmidt's lover. Um, but if it's the father's lover, dude, bad dudes like that run around with bad girls. You know what I mean? So like, it would only make sense. And uh, I feel like he made, they probably made advances toward his daughter, but probably went further with people that weren't in his family or something. You know what I mean? And if his girlfriend or whatever is fucking killing kids, that goes hand in hand. You know what I mean? Which is horrifying. Uh, Schmidt was declared demon free on December 23rd, 1928, right before Christmas Eve. Uh, but there is a strange postscript of the story. As it turns out, the 1928 exorcism was neither the first time Resinger attempted to rid Schmidt of the demons, nor the last. 
Reason's your first exercise, Schmidt, in New York City in 1908. The two reportedly became close, and the priests exercised her several more times over the following years. Sounds dirty. With Schmidt traveling to whatever state Reisinger's found himself in. Do you think there's a savior complex almost where somebody going through trauma like that and the priest actually trying to help, they're attracted to that, not sexually, but just caring-wise? So that's why she'll kind of follow him around? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, what did I call that? Stockholm? Yeah. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. That, that, that one's a little different, but I'd say it's kind of uh, similar. She became attached to that exorcist and she saw the exorcist as her savior. And if she wasn't receiving what she needed in life, she'd be, she would become possessed again to get the attention of the exorcist. Hmm. Staying away from being repossessed means you have to change your life and your habits and who you are. Because otherwise you leave yourself open again. Again, there's that thread. So if you're not careful on how you walk through life and how you take care of yourself, then uh, it, can, it can be a reoccurring thing. You also have the psychology of it is that this person is seeking it out because they're seeking the attention of this savior, this person that uh, helped them before. They just won't let go. And, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a complex thing, but, uh, yeah, she was, she was, uh, seeking him out and some of it may have been, I don't doubt that some was a real possession and she may have left herself open for it again. When she desired him, she opened herself up for that possession. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a thing like a victim complex that certain people have where, you know, they like to play the victim all the time. And when they find somebody that kind of feeds into it, that's what they're, they're drawn to that. You know what I mean? Yep. We, uh, we, next up, we have the exorcism of Roland Doe in 1949. Now, Roland Doe not only is a great rap name, Roland Doe, that's fucking great. Um, but uh, he also, I think he'd have a, he'd have a spot on uh, the Heaven's Gate spaceship with a name like that as well. But in 1949, the Jesuit priest spent weeks working on free, working uh, to a free, or uh, in 1949, the Jesuit priest spent weeks working to free a 14-year-old Maryland boy known as Roland Doe from alleged demonic possession. Newspaper coverage of the case would eventually inspire William Peter Blatley to write his blockbuster 1971 novel, The Exorcist. Which they read the, the article, uh, the story before, I think, was said the same thing that it was an influence on the exorcist. I think all everything, every exorcist story was an influence on the exorcist. Uh, the Doe family first began hearing strange sounds in January of 1949. They assumed the scratching noises coming from their walls and their ceiling were the work of rats, but exterminators couldn't find any evidence of infestation. The family soon claimed to experience other frightening phenomena, including unexplained footsteps, furniture and dishes moving on their own, uh, and violent shaking of their teenage son's bed. My grandmother had a, my nano nanu rather, always had a story where she thought that uh, her bed, she claimed that her bed started shaking one night and that she heard like uh, like laughing and growling or something like that. I'd have to re-tap into that story with her, but 
Yeah, I remember her saying she got she was pretty shook up about it too, and she was always ultra religious, and uh, yeah, you know what I mean. So like, I think it was like an attack, you know what I mean. But I believe her, dude. I don't know why she don't really lie, and uh, the bed shaking uh, would be something. I had cousins and an uncle and an aunt that lived there too. I should check in with them, um, but the activity seemed to center on Roland even following him when he was staying with neighbors. He was attached. He had an attachment going right there and a fan. It seems the boy's aunt, who had been a spiritualist, had died recently, and they wondered if she was haunting them. The family appealed to a Washington, D.C.-based Lutheran minister who advised them to see a Catholic priest. Father E. Albert Hughes unsuccessfully attempted to exercise Roland the boy allegedly broke off a piece of mattress spring and attacked the priest with it, slashing his arm. That's hardcore. Roland and his mother eventually left their home and traveled to St. Louis to visit relatives. Hoping to escape whatever was troubling them, while they were in Missouri, several Jesuit priests, including Father William Bowden, Father Walter Holleran, and Reverend William Van Rue, attempted to free the boy from the demon that supposedly possessed him. Throughout the ritual, the priest claimed to see words and images appear in the boy's body in the form of spontaneous scratches, also in The Exorcist and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. At one point, Roland broke Halloran's nose. The exorcism continued night after night, day after day, have it your way. Roland seemed normal during the day until April 18th, 1949 when Roland abruptly appeared to be cured he went uh he went on to lead a quiet life free of whatever condition led to the infamous exorcism so this sounds like he just actually randomly was cured one day what's your take on that do you think it, it, the demon would just leave what 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 what's you think it's just it hiding inside him what do you think that is where it just kind of abruptly just disappears um, I could say it was hiding, moved on to someone else. I mean, if, if it was a demon, because it wasn't getting anywhere with him. Uh, it so it just kind of decided that, uh, okay, I'm going to find a more suitable host. You think he was strong-willed, being strong-willed or something like that? Would It would make it beat feet to another host? Or what do you think would make it actually leave? Uh, strong-willed, um, the person themselves through their lifestyle and what they do, whether it be prayer, meditation, different protection techniques, the, how they live, doing good deeds, et cetera, and stuff like that. Yeah. Eventually the, the demon decides that it's going to, it's going to take a hike. This is like a losing battle. This person refuses to give in. Yeah. And, uh, because we, we often forget our own power. We come from a div- all the creation comes from the, from the divine, and we have a spark of that divine in us. And if we can awaken that and keep it lit and keep it going, then evil doesn't really want to try and do too much. It's when we dull that spark, whether it's through addictions or negative thinking or negative habits and stuff, then we become uh, susceptible. Yeah. It's, it's truth. That's definitely some truthness. Um, the fact that it, it, it got up and left, it, it's hopeful. That's very hopeful. I like that. That's kind of a positive. Uh, we should almost end with that. But 
We got one more fire. That will be the the ending. And then we left the stage, and me and Ray come back for the encore right now, ladies and gentlemen. And we finish up with our big hit, The Exorcism of Gina, baby, from 1991. Here we go. On April 4th, 1991, an estimated 29 million people tuned into ABC's popular show 2020 to watch The Exorcism of a 16-year-old girl identified only as Gina. Uh, you remember that, Ray, at all? No. Yeah, that, that, that escapes me. Um, a pair of Catholic priests presided over the ritual, which took place at a Florida convent and allegedly lasted for six hours. The footage was edited to fit the show's time slot, one, which is, you know, the, 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 the magic of uh, editing right there. You, you got to kind of raise an eyebrow to. Run, one priest was referred to simply as Father A. The other was Reverend James J. Labar who had appeared on the controversial 1988 Geraldo Rivera special Devil Worship, exposing Satan's underground and authored a 1989 book called Cults, Sex, and the New Age. Geraldo Rivera's show was fucking crazy back in the day. Did you ever watch that? I believe Anton LaVey was on there. You know, Geraldo went and talked to Manson, which was always an interest. Him and... Geraldo talking to Manson is kind of like, I think, what sparked Natural Born Killers, a big chunk of Natural Born Killers, because that whole element of uh, Robert Downey Jr. being that, that's Geraldo Rivera. That's who that's supposed to be. Um, And Geraldo, dude, got his nose broken by some racist at one point, I remember, on the show. Uh, The dude's probably been shot and stabbed and beat up a handful of times. He's weird. He's a weird. He's a journalist. You know what I mean? Sometimes he's got to give it the fair shake. Sometimes he's not giving it the fair shake. You know what I mean? He, he, he's just, I want a shirt with Geraldo's face on it with that big mustache. I think that'd be awesome. I'd love to have him on the show. He's a weirdo, but I, I appreciate him. Um, now the devil word. Did you check that episode? You, you see that devil worship episode? No, I had heard about him back then, but I didn't bother watching the, the uh, anything he did. No, he had like Guar on there once. He had um, um, what's his name? Gigi Allen was on his show once. The Gigi Allen show was ridiculous. It was like you want to watch some crazy TV? You want to understand what crazy TV is of the early nineties? You, you know, you watch that. Uh, a different time, whole different time. Uh, we need to go back to that time. That's entertaining time. Um, but yeah, this the devil worship exposing Satan's underground and authored a 1989 book called Cult, Sex, and the New Age. Like I said, Labar had supposedly conducted a six-month investigation and determined that Gina, who had been hospitalized for psychotic episodes, psychotic episodes in the past, was possessed. You know, like I said before, I think there's kind of in certain situations, not all some, you know, certain situations, I think there's a very thin line between the possession and a psychotic episode. But that but not. But there is some real stuff going down. But I do think in a lot of situations is a thin line. It was one of the most watched episodes in the show's history. And it wasn't exactly The Exorcist. You know what I mean? Although Labar later claimed that Gina might have levitated to the ceiling if she hadn't been tied down. I don't believe that because the other person levitated with eight people holding her. So I'm going to say that the tie downs aren't going to, I'm going to do it. Uh, 
especially when it could untie them. Watch a movie. Watch a horror movie, guy. But what unfolded was certainly disturbing. Gina growled. You know, like I said before, that's either here or there. She thrashed, thrashed against her restraints. And I only say it's here or there because I'm, I'm going to lean a little bit into the direction that this might be a Hollywoodized exorcism because it was ABC, you know what I mean? Ratings, I think. Um, but she had, you know, she growled, thrashed against the restraints, which would happen. Cursed the priests, which that would happen too, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, she, she was just getting all wild, you know? She was real wild, you know what I mean? We, you know, you can't, you can't play with her. Uh, she was speaking in, she spoke in tongues. Now, we talked about tongues a little bit before. Now, with them saying she's speaking in tongues and not Latin or anything like that, do you th- is there like a, a negative tongues that people can speak, or is speaking in tongues always a positive thing? Because I've always known it to be kind of, it was in the, in the presence of God, a positive deal. That's what I always grew up thinking it was. So is there like a, a darker tongues that can be spoken, or is that always a positive thing? What's your take? It can go. It can be either side of it. Okay, so it can be. It can be evil too. Yes. Interesting. I thought it was all. I like the way you said yes. That creeped me out. You're like yes. I'm speaking yeah. in evil. I'm speaking in evil tongues right now. The um, but yeah, I always that's interesting. Good to know because I always thought whenever I hear t- speaking in tongues, I always automatically think it's a good thing. That's because that that is over time what we've heard the most of. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the positive. We don't hear much about the negative. Truth. Big truth on that. Uh, Father A and Labar. Father A didn't want to be named. That's what that means when you see Father A and, and then a dude using his real name. Either that or Labar was like, I'm taking the credit. This dude's Father A. That could have happened as well. Uh, but Father A and Labar determined she was being tormented by not one demonic force, but several you believe in multiple getting in there, or is it mainly just one, one, one thing? Multiple is possible. Got a real party going on in there. If you uh, got to remember, I, I think it's in Mark. Yeah. When they ask, uh, "What is thy name?" and the demon responds, "My name is Legion, for we are many." Yeah. That's that's gangster. I'll say that's gang. That's one of the most gangster things I ever heard in my life. It's evil, but it's like the most gangster thing I ever said. Well, when I was uh, in the Ohio State Reformatory, we had an ovulus going. Yeah, and they they said you're in danger, and danger. We asked it who, and unfortunately, I didn't have the recorder on at that time. But we we asked it who, and you know, you danger and stuff. So. At that point there, I said, okay, who are you? And the ovalist said, the, what came out of the, the ovalist said was, we are legion. That's crazy. And, uh, yeah, that was kind of, that was a little freaky. They never that have happened, a, yeah. It, it happened early on, but I kept investigating. That's horrifyingly creepy. They never, they never have a sense of humor. Like it never, when you say, am I in danger? It never goes, danger is my middle name. You know what I mean? You know? Nah, I, I, they're, not, they're, not, they're, not, they're not into that. You know, 
you're, you're, <laughs> the name Danger comes up, you know, my the back of my mind goes, was that Rodney? And Hell yeah. Well, where's the field at the end and stuff? Yeah. And, but no, when it threw up Legion, then I got serious. Yeah. Rest in peace, Rodney. We love Rodney. Yeah, that Legion deal is, is horrifying, you know what I mean? And the group, it's a fear tactic almost. It's the same. It's almost equivalent to them speaking in different languages. Like, know that they're smarter than you in a way. They're t- they're t- letting you know that they outnumber you as well, which is hard. Double time horrifying. Well, just remember, we are legion, for we are many. I like it. That's that's the 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 slogan for the mostly ghostly fan club. I like that. <laughs> Uh, by the end of this whole ordeal, two of the entities, uh, known as Zion and Minga, they got these weird names. Now there's the lion, the the lion of Zion, right? Yeah. Now you think that has anything to do with that, or Zion was a common name? Uh, Zion, I think, was an insult by using the name Zion. Oh, good man, good idea. Yeah, you got that. You're probably you're dead on with that. And then Minga, I've heard. Isn't Minga like? A, a word for God or something like that. Haven't I heard that before? I don't know. Minga means something. I'm not going to continue to say it because I don't know what it means, but I want to say that that means something. I've heard that somewhere. Uh, but they, those two had supposedly been cast out of Gina uh, and she seemed to have felt better. She was soon rehospitalized and treated with antipsychotic medication rather than holy water. The following year, Labar was appointed chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of New York. So that sounds like she got handed around, unfortunately, between spiritual people and science, you know what I mean? And everybody took a crack at what they thought that was, which is no good because you're going to be riddled and ravaged. Your, your, your mind and body is going to be ravaged from something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I mean, if the, the psychologist or the psychiatrist are going to be telling you how sick you are, what problems you have, and trying to cure it on one angle, and the exorcist is going to be trying to exercise you, and you're caught in the middle of that battle between two disciplines trying to correct you or correct the situation. You think, uh, you think if you were given, like, an antipsychotic medication that just makes you, that numbs you out and puts you almost sedated, do you think that that, what do you think, you think that that would slow down? the demon deal? Or do you think the demon would be going just as heavy in your brain, but it would be only something you could deal with at some point. Maybe that drugs would block. Maybe the drugs would sedate you enough to be out of it where you're not even imagine if they, one day they they said, Hey, science came out and said, demons are real and they go in people and we don't know how to get them out. So we sedate people. So it doesn't hurt them. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to trust that science. No, no, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. <laughs> that's just a ba- that's putting a bandaid on a hatchet wound. You know what I mean? And yeah, or it's uh, you know another way to make some money off someone's condition. Well, that's the deal. You know, they why fix a problem when you could have them pay you a monthly fee for the rest of their life to fix it monthly? You know. It sounds like Behold the Pill podcast. Another good show on the network, though. So yeah, those were the, those are some those are some crazy exorcism stories. Um, the whole idea of exorcism is it's it's an intense, intense, dark. 
I say crazy because it's my in, in the sense of mind blowing. You know what I mean? Um, definitely, you know, definitely, definitely, you know, something I don't want to deal with. You know what I mean? You had the sage burning earlier, keeping us cleansed from dark talk, dark discussions. Um, Always. You got to. And I appreciate that. I thank you. We all thank you. And, uh, yeah. So do you, is there anything else you want to kind of say about exorcism and you, or anything you want to get into or comment on? Well, as far as exorcism goes, uh, evil and demonic entities are real. Yeah. And you have to be very careful, whether it's something like a simple uh, ghost hunt or whether it is, um, you know, you, you're going to sit down with someone, whether it's a Ouija board or summoning, whatever it is, when you're opening any sort of portal, that evil can reach out and it can touch you, influence you, it can possess you. And you have to be very careful if you're going to indulge in it, any of that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's preferable that most of, most people don't, or at least take some protection or have someone knowledgeable with you that can help you if something goes wrong. As far as the exorcisms go, I think it's a split between how many are really a condition of the mind and how many are a real possession. But I do believe from what I've seen and learned in my life that real possession uh, does occur and we have to be very careful and treat it very carefully. Yeah. I'm definitely with that. Do you have any, uh, if somebody thought that they had something attached to them or maybe a loved one, what would, what would you say the first step to kind of figuring out what the story would be? Uh, you, the first step would be a close examination of all the circumstances. Uh, a bit about the person's background, their behavior, what they're doing, why you think they are, to make sure it's not something equivalent to a modern-day version of the witch trials. Yeah. Uh, the second step, and that most difficult part, would be to find someone to help you out. And depending upon your faith, it may be, uh, it may be a priest or it may be a minister, but someone that you could trust to be able to sit down and talk, or your family members would along with you, mm-hmm. to tell them what is going on and what can be done to help you out of it. But the first thing is take a careful look to make sure you don't need medical help. Um, it's not a manipulative situation. I mean, there's so many things that it could be. Mm-hmm. Don't don't rule out the possession, but save that for last. Once you've looked at everything else, you can do to try and correct the situation and get get the person um, back on their feet and feeling good. And none of it works there. Then you turn to that uh, oh, that that person who has the expertise, the best you can find depending upon your background, to help you out and to uh, get rid of whatever is attached. Because it has happened. Um, I've had a, an attachment to devices, um, brought something home with me one time. I mean, I've, I've had different things that have happened to me, and I, I know that uh, they manifested in such a way that I knew it wasn't my mind. Yeah. But playing games. So you have to be very, you have to be very careful. You eliminate everything that you can that that it other than 
demonic or other than possession or attachment. And once you've eliminated everything, if it's still there, then seek that, what I will call professional help, not the person uh, who's making arounds, touting themselves as a demonologist, but mm-hmm. try and go to something, someone who's established and someone who um, has a similar background and who knows what they're doing. And that might, again, might be a reverend, might be a priest, whatever that happens, or rabbi, whatever it happens to be. Yes, yeah, it's, it's important that you trust them, like you were saying there, because like, if you were going to a legal professional, you, I mean, you were seeking legal advice or medical advice, you're going to want to go to the best person that you jive with, that knows what they're talking about, but you've got like, you can actually, you're comfortable with, you know what I mean? So you'd want to do the same thing with somebody helping you with a situation like this as well. Definitely. You know what I mean? Well, this was another hot episode. This hot, this is my computer is smoking again. As usual, whenever we lay down a hot episode, it's always smoking and sizzling. And this one was, uh, this was a good one. You know, we dove into some crazy stuff and uh, always fun, always interesting. You know what I mean? The truth is out there in the dark. Don't fear the dark. Don't fear the Reaper. You know what I mean? Um, Heck yeah. Shit. Yeah, this is one of those things. Very delicate thing. You know, tread carefully. Um you know, tread carefully with this in general. This is one of those things I feel like even just not knowing, dabbling, not knowing what you're doing could catch you in attachment. You know what I mean? You know, just kind of, it's weird that the spiritual world is weird. You open yourself up. It's, it's, it's not physical. You know what I mean? So like you don't literally have to go open up a door and say, come on in. You know, there's certain thoughts you know, moods even, you know, you get, you get into a funk, you know I mean? There's all different things that could bring this bad stuff around and you really got to prepare yourself and be aware of the surroundings and situations that can kind of come about, you know, um, it could be as, as small as some, a little black cloud over your head, having a bad day all the way to something as extreme as this, where you're floating on a sailing, speaking languages you never even knew while your head's twisting around while you're vomiting more puke than should realistically be in your system or the system of five individuals. Um, you don't want to go there. You know what I mean? Whoa there. You don't want to go there. And, uh, Ray, another great episode. Thank you for your knowledge. You know, your knowledge is the true star of the show, (laughs) the true star of the podcast. No, 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 no. This is a team effort here. You heard him. You heard him, folks. So all you naysayers out there saying that it's just Ray, Ray carrying the whole show. And I just pressed record. I heard um, we're a team. We're a damn team. And uh, hell yeah. Word, word. So if y'all like this episode, go check out more episodes wherever you're listening to this. Also, we got social media. Facebook's are your best bet to probably catch up with us. Uh, and we drop all our episodes. And whenever we go seeking for people, because from time to time, we like to dip out into the, the pool of our, our audience and say, who wants to come on? Who wants to come on and talk about some ghostly stuff? You know what I mean? Uh, your best spot is to jump there. Also, we got the Boombastic Media YouTube page. Boombastic Media is kind of the production company that does all these shows. Um, they have a YouTube page. 
and uh, go subscribe to that YouTube page because not only is I think the first ever um, retro, we get the retro look mostly ghostly. The first 10, I think episodes are up there. Um, if you go listen to those episodes, all of them, you can tell people that you've been there since the beginning. How you like that? But that, that, that YouTube page will in the future host some video ghostly things that I know you're going to get down with. If you like this show. And, uh, we also got a Patreon page out there for anybody looking to support, get you some cool perks at uh boombastic streaming at patreon.com for y'all po- Patreon folk out there, but you'll always be able to catch us here for free in your ear. Maybe not your eyeballs, but in your ear. And uh, we appreciate everybody for listening. We hope you all have a great week. And we'll catch up with you all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. (laughs) 